0: In every society, there are laws that are antiquated and that are out of date. For example, last year in the Daily, New, uh, Daily Mail newspaper in the UK, they listed some of the strange laws that are still that still stand over there in the UK. They include that in, since, 19, uh, since sorry, 1313, it is illegal to enter the Houses of Parliament wearing a suit of armour don't know how many people try that these days, but it is against the law. And then since 1322, it's illegal for a dead whale to be found on, a, on the British coast to be removed. Because for some reason, if a whale dies on, the, on the be- and, and, and ends up on a beach in the UK, it belongs to the monarchy. I don't know what they're going to do with a dead whale, but anyway, that's what it is. And in 1839, it's illegal to fly a kite... Or to slide on ice on the street. It's also been against the law to beat or shake a carpet or rug in the street. But you can shake, shake your doormat as long as you do it before 8 o'clock in the morning. Just remember that. It's also illegal to willfully and wantonly disturb people by ringing their doorbells or knocking their doors. But in Scotland, seemingly, and I've never known of this before, it is illegal to turn anyone away if they knock your door and ask to use your toilet. I don't know why. No, it's never happened to me in all my years, but that's what it is. Now, most people will agree that laws like that are just not relevant for the 21st century life. Laws like these, they're out of date, and they need to be changed, or even just abolished. Just throw them away. In fact, in Ireland, over the past decade or so, the Department of Public Expenditure and Reform have been passing what's called the Statute Law Revision Acts. They always get a catchy title, don't they? Uh, And they've been doing just that, repealing and removing some of Ireland's out-of-date laws. But what should we do when it comes to these ancient laws? What about the Old Testament laws? Those given to Moses on Mount Sinai something like three and a half thousand years ago. What should our response be to them? As Christians today living in the 21st century. Should we just see them as irrelevant? Out of date? Antiquated? Should we just abandon them? Or even discard them? Well, Jesus answered this question in his Sermon on the Mount. As he called his disciples to a different righteousness. And we're going to read this passage eh, this morning. It's in Matthew chapter 5. It's in verse 17. And it goes down to verse 20. Matthew chapter 5. If you have a Bible, you can open it up. If not, just listen on and I'll read it out to you. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. The kingdom of heaven. In Judaism, there are three sections of the Hebrew Bible. There's the law, which contains the five books of Moses. And the prophets, which include the historical books from Joshua to Kings, as well as the majority of of what we we would call the prophetical books. And then there's also the writings. uh, Books like Psalms and Proverbs and, and Chronicles and a number of others. Law, prophets, and writings. But the earliest and the most basic of divisions of the Hebrew Bible was a twofold one. It was the law and the prophets. And so when Jesus said, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets, it seems that he was talking about the whole of what we call the Old Testament. He was declaring that I hadn't come to cancel it, or destroy it, or do away with it. Now I think that suggests that some people were thinking that this is what Jesus had come to do. Or this is what Jesus was teaching. Maybe that was because Jesus didn't fit in with their ideas of what scripture said. Jesus stood out as being different from the other religious leaders and teachers of of his day. For example, he healed on the Sabbath day. Which was against their understanding of that commandment to keep the Sabbath day holy. He associated with the type of people that the teachers of the law declared as unclean. And they would have kept as far away as possible from them for fear of being contaminated by them. So they asked, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? He even touched the unclean. When the man with leprosy came to him and asked to be healed, filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. (laughs) And he didn't follow the tradition of the elders in many of the ceremonies and the rituals that they did. For example, the washing of cups and bowls before eating them and washing their hands before eating. So it was natural that people thought that Jesus was bringing in something completely new. What is this, they said, a new teaching and with authority? But Jesus is absolutely clear here. Yes, he spoke with new power and with new authority. Yes, he did things that the religious leaders didn't. Yes, he was challenging what they'd been taught and what they'd done. But he wasn't suggesting tearing up the scriptures. Or saying that they no longer applied. In fact, Jesus had a deep appreciation and respect for the scriptures. Verse 18, he said this, Until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything has been accomplished. The smallest letter in the Hebrew language is the iota. The least stroke of a pen or a dot. was probably some of the tiny hooks or projections which distinguish some Hebrew letters from others. And so Jesus was saying that until this universe is no longer in existence, not even the tiniest part of the Old Testament is irrelevant or useless. Until this world is made new, none of God's word will pass away. None of it will be discarded. So Jesus did not come to abolish the law and the prophets. But neither did he come just to repeat what the law and the prophets said. He didn't just come and say exactly the same things that that Moses and the other prophets had said. He wasn't just reaffirming these scriptures. He came to do more than that. He said not to abolish that he came, but he came to fulfill them. Jesus came to complete them, to accomplish them. To bring the scriptures to their intended meaning. And this applies to all the different types of teaching that we see in the Old Testament. The Old Testament teaches us uh, the doctrines about God and humanity and how to become right with God. But Jesus said that, the, that what is contained in the Old Testament scriptures is only a partial revelation. He came to complete this revelation. To teach us fully what the Old Testament was teaching us in part. The letter of Hebrews starts with this declaration. That in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets. At many times and in different ways, in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Jesus came as God's final word to this world. The ultimate revelation of truth to complete what the Old Testament had started. Jesus also came to fulfill the, the predictive teaching in the Old Testament. As it pointed forward to the coming of the Messiah. God-anointed one who was going to establish God's kingdom to restore God's people and even be a light to the Gentiles. These kind of predictions are seen not only in the writings of the prophets like Isaiah that we were looking at just a while back before Christmas, but also in the people that God worked through. And in the symbolism of the religious structures and practices of Israel. All of those things pointed forward to the coming of the Messiah. And Jesus was claiming that all these scriptures were pointing to him. In John chapter 5, he says this. You diligently study the scriptures. He was speaking about the Pharisees and the teacher of the law. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. And we see as we read through Matthew's gospel in particular, that Matthew records again and again how Jesus' life and his ministry fulfilled what the scriptures had predicted. And this was of course crucially true about Jesus' death, wasn't it? In laying down his life as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Jesus fulfilled the whole ceremonial system of the Old Testament. Of temple and priest and sacrifice. Paul declares in 1 Corinthians 15. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day. According to the scriptures. But in the scriptures we also see not just the, the doctrinal teaching and the predictive teaching. We also see the, the ethical or, or teaching or the moral law of God. Teaching us how we should live. And Jesus fulfilled this also, first of all, by perfectly obeying it. Do you remember at his baptism how God declared from heaven, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Because Jesus perfectly had fulfilled the law in keeping it without sin. But Jesus had done more than just obeying the law. He also revealed the full meaning of what the moral law taught. This is what Jesus went on to do in the rest of Matthew 5, as we'll do in the next couple of weeks. When he said things like this. You have heard that it was said. But I tell you. Jesus claimed to bring the ultimate disclosure of God's law. The authoritative and definitive explanation. Of what it meant. And how it applied. So far from disregarding. Or discarding. Or destroying the Old Testament. Jesus fulfilled it in every aspect. He fulfilled it in His life. As the promised Messiah, He perfectly obeyed it, Its requirements and lived a sinless life before God. He fulfilled it in His teaching. As He perfectly revealed the truth about God. And how to live in relationship with Him. And ultimately he fulfilled it in his death when he bore the curse of the law, paying for the sins of the world and opening up the new covenant with God. But the question is, what does all this mean for us? As Christians, what should our attitude be to the Old Testament then? I think, first of all, we need to learn from Jesus' attitude to it. Jesus said that in some way, greatness in God's kingdom is measured by our obedience to and respect for God's law. Verse 19. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Clearly then, we mustn't ignore the Old Testament and just focus on the new. We mustn't reject the Old Testament or ridicule it or refuse to read it. In fact, even the smallest and apparently least significant aspect of it should be crucially important to us who are part of God's kingdom. Those who are living the life that God wants are those who apply it, who accept it, who live it out, and also teach and encourage others to do the same. As Christians, we must accept that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All of it, from Genesis right through to Revelation, all of it is God-breathed. All of it is an inspired Word of God. And we must be willing to allow God to teach us through it and be ready to put it into practice in our lives. But that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that we need to live like the Old Testament believer. Neither does it mean that we need to be like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law in their obsessive focus on keeping its rules. Instead, what we need to do is we need to listen to Jesus. As he reveals the true purpose of the law. And the deeper and the greater requirements of true righteousness in God's sight. This is our last verse in the passage that we looked at this morning. Verse 20. Jesus said, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. I think when most people heard that for the first time, I would imagine that they would be shocked. Those guys were famous for their righteousness. They broke down the law into 248 commandments and 365 prohibitions. And they were fanatical about keeping them all. So how could God be asking us to do more than that? How could anyone achieve that? But Jesus didn't mean that, the, that we had to out-Pharisee the Pharisees. Instead, he was this greater righteousness that he was talking about was a completely different kind of righteousness. It was a true righteousness compared to what the Pharisees had. The problem was that the Pharisees, they were content with an external, with a formal obedience. A rigid conformity to the letter of the law. And Jesus was teaching that God is looking for more than that. Later he challenged them in Matthew chapter 15, verse 7 and 8. You hypocrites, Jesus said. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honour me with their lips. But their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. Theirs was an external obedience. Conformity to all of the letter of the law as far as they could understand it. But God is looking for a deeper righteousness. This is what Jesus goes on to explain in the the Sermon on the Mount. A righteousness that doesn't limit the the demands of God's moral standards to just external compliance, just to doing the right thing. And only in some situations, but not in others. But it's a righteousness that understands that God is looking for a total, complete, and wholehearted love for Him. And a selfless love for others. That's what God is looking for. That's the standard of righteousness that is accept- accessible, acceptable to Him. That's what Jesus said the Old Testament is all about. He said it can be summed up as this. To love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. With all your mind. And then to love your neighbour as yourself. But there's a problem with this, isn't there? As we listen to Jesus as he fulfills the law in his life and his teaching, as we listen to how he's calling us to love God with everything that we are and have, every moment of every day, and to love other people completely, selflessly, not just thinking about ourselves, but to think of them just as much, we will realize how very far short of that we fall. As Jesus lifts up the true meaning of these commandments and reveals God's true standard of righteousness, we'll discover that it's beyond our ability. If we tried really, really, really hard, we might be just as good as the Pharisees. But no matter how much we try, we'll never get to that standard of loving God with everything or loving people selflessly. because of our sinful and selfish hearts we cannot love God so completely as this and we'll never love other people as selflessly as this so learning the full requirements of the law doesn't justify us it doesn't set us up as right before God rather it condemns us This is what Paul said in Romans chapter 3, verse 20. No one, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Through the law, we become conscious of sin. But that's the purpose of the law. The law was never given to save us. To make us right with God. It couldn't. Rather the law was given to reveal our sin. To highlight our weakness. To convict us of our lostness. To convince us of our hopelessness. And then point us to the one who could save us. Paul says in Galatians chapter 3 verse 24, the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we may be justified by faith. What is the focus and the purpose of the law? It's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Jesus. As the perfect Son, He completely fulfilled the law. As the perfect sacrifice, He took upon Himself the curse of the law. As our perfect sacrifice, a substitute, He died our death as prescribed by the law. And as our perfect Saviour, He redeemed us and set us free from the condemnation of the law. God made Him who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And so if we simply put our trust in Jesus, then we can receive as a gift this greater righteousness and be welcomed fully into God's kingdom. Our righteousness, not through our efforts, not through our achievements, but through the amazing grace of God. And then, and then as believers in Jesus, as disciples of Jesus, we can come and listen to Jesus. As he teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount. Not to find out how we can become righteous in God's sight. But as those who have already been forgiven, who have already been redeemed and adopted into God's family by God's grace. To find out how then we should live. To express our love. And to express our worship. And to please our God. The one who saved us by his grace. And we do this not through the old festivals and regulations and ceremonies and rituals that are included in the Old Testament. Because as Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, that these are a shadow of the things that were to come. All of those things, the ceremonies, the temple, the sacrifices, the rituals, they all pointed forward to Jesus. The reality, however, is found in Christ, Paul goes on to say. So if these things are all fulfilled in Jesus, we did not need to go back and repeat them again. Because in Christ we have the real thing. And neither do we do it through the old way of rules and regulations and the, the demands of a law under the fear of punishment. Because that would be going back into the slavery of the law. And it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. But rather it's in the new freedom. And joy. Of being God's children. With a new heart. And a new nature. And a new power. We follow Jesus as he teaches us how to live for God. In the new way of the spirit. And not in the old way of the written code. And this, all of this is in fulfillment of what the law and the prophets pointed to. As they pointed forward to this, what is called the new covenant that the Messiah would bring. Listen to what Jeremiah chapter 31 says. This is the covenant I will bring. I will put my law in their minds. And on their hearts. I will be their God. And they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor. Or a man his brother saying. Know the Lord. Because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest. Declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness. And will remember their sins. No more. So this is what Jesus wants us to do with God's law. Not discard it as old or irrelevant or out of date. But instead, learn from Jesus in his attitude to God's law. Listen to him as he explains and reveals the true meaning and purpose of God's law. Trust in him as in his sacrifice for us in fulfilment of God's law. And then follow him as he leads us and empowers us by his spirit to live out the righteous requirements of God's